You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week we are making a visit to the Museum of Modern Art's Conservation Department. You're going to hear from Ani Avaram, a senior paintings conservator who's been at MoMA now for 40 years. We talked about what goes into restoring and preserving the museum's collection. That's what conservators do. They're the ones who make sure that as paintings age, they continue to look the way the artists originally intended. And what stood out to me from our conversation is just how much hidden effort goes into keeping the museum's art in shape. The masterpieces you see in the gallery have been cleaned. They've been subtly touched up to hide signs of wear. Maybe they've been totally reframed or... You know, if they were preserved a long time ago, they may have been bonded with wax on the back to make sure that the paint doesn't shift around. And you, the visitor, are never really supposed to think about any of that work. But I hope you enjoy learning how it's done so you can maybe appreciate it. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Annie Aviram, and I'm a senior paintings conservator here at MoMA. As a conservator... Are you fixing paintings? What are you conserving exactly? Well, for example, you would wonder in a collection of, as vast as this one, how do you choose the paintings you're going to work on? Okay. So a lot of the the work we do or the paintings we work on are generated by exhibitions or loans. Because if you can imagine you're not going to, if you only show 50% of the collection and the rest is in storage, you're not going to go through storage and look, oh, I want to work on this. Let's see what needs work. So when things are proposed for loans, for example, I check them as part of my work. I approve all the loans as far as conservation goes. And by that, I mean, I check them if they need work. We bring them to conservation. If for other reasons they're too fragile to travel, I say I don't recommend this painting traveling so it doesn't go out of the building. Interesting. So it's both sort of you're assessing the paintings. You're, right. You're looking at the condition that they're in if if, pe- if the museum's either thinking about showing them or loaning them somewhere they're going to have to travel to. But then once you actually are, you've decided you're going to show a painting, what is it that you're usually attempting to do at the easel? What is well, what, what the, is your job there? The, depends what the problem is, but typically... But you're looking for problems with the painting. Well, we're looking for not only problems always, sometimes there are aesthetic issues that you want to rectify. Interesting. For example, if you had a painting... We worked on all the Matisses, for example. If you have a painting that has a conservation varnish, which was considered a protective coating in the 50s, 60s, 70s, paintings were typically varnish. And today we know better that certain artists did not want those varnish layers on the paintings. So we are reverting a lot of the treatments that were done here in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So part of it is... is Undoing things previous well, conservators did. Or, right, or, or even I. <laughs> or even you did. Yeah, because aesthetics have changed, things have changed, and the way we have varnished things, we use varnishes that are very readily soluble. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, they are safe to be removed and bring back the painting to what we consider, we think, was the artist's intent. So 
what sort of things are you usually doing a paint to a painting as a conservator? What sort of issues are you trying to rectify? What aesthetic issues are you usually addressing? Well, if it's a structural treatment, it's something else. If it's a aesthetic treatment, it's different. It's like removing varnishes. With that, sometimes retouching that was done previously because there were losses on the paint, whatever reason, or old restorations. So uh, you will remove all the retouching and all that that no longer matches very well or it's just off a little bit so you rectify that you take the varnish you take the old retouching and you replace that that's one way sometimes you're just going to clean a painting just surface clean it because it's been on view for a long time like now I have a very fascinating project on the easel that I'm almost finishing which was it's a Cezanne bather which is the earliest painting we have in this collection and so that painting has been on view and for a very long time so now finally I was able to get it to the easel because we prepare everything we have in the studio now is in preparation for the 2019 reinstallation and opening of the museum the expansion. Is every painting you see in the museum or has it at some point gone through a conservator's easel? Mm, A very large percentage. So someone has touched it and looked at the done the retouching, revarnished, whatever. It's, whatever it's was been, needed. It's been yeah. through someone else's hand before yes. that you are seeing yes, it. absolutely. And you're the person that it's probably... So. And I was the person that did some of those treatments. So it's really interesting to see that 40 years ago you did a treatment and you say, oh, oh it doesn't look so good anymore. I, <laughs> do you say, how often do you feel like you're... How often do you, do you look back at your old work and be like, oh, what was I thinking? Not too often. Not too often. often. And some of it is not my fault. Some of it is things shift, they get dirty, they, you know. Or you read a passage that was retouched wrong. Mm -hmm. By that I mean maybe there's a scraping by the artist and you thought it was a scratch. But now we have so much instruments and we work with the scientists. So they help us to not only analyze what we're removing or what we're going to remove, but also they help us tailor the treatments better. So that's something we didn't have in the 70s. We we had a microscope, but we didn't have actually a scientist. Yeah. We had other people that you called for, you know, scientists that were analyzing varnishes and stuff like that. But now we have a whole scientific department here. I'm going to ask a really basic question here. Okay. Why do you retouch a painting? To integrate the passage in some cases. Well, what does that mean for someone well, who's not necessarily for a example, art person? Now I'm... Um, working on this Cezanne that I told you, the bather, and it had all retouching and it had a scratch that was done, happened because, you know, uh, Cezanne, then I learned after he died, he had a lot of paintings rolled. So there were a little damages caused by rolling the painting. Then his son, after his father died, was started to mount all these paintings in stretchers. You know what a stretcher is? It's like a secondary support for the canvas. Mm -hmm. So um, those damages, they were retouched lightly, and they're really disfiguring. So now what I'm doing today is I'm taking the little bit of retouching that was there, and I'm integrating that passage in the sky. So it's very distracting, and it doesn't belong there. But even though it's a very old damage, I think today, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm making it look better. 
Yeah. So it's your job to kind of make the Cezanne look like the Cezanne again. Exactly. On the other hand, I discovered while cleaning some passages that he scraped and they were retouched by somebody else. And then after I took the retouching, I said, this doesn't need to be retouched. It's original to the painting, looking at it under the microscope, looking at it. So there, you assess things with different eyes, with a different, with more techniques with more aid of of colleagues so so this is this is what i'm curious about so your your job is to bring it back the original life of this painting or right. kind of rejuvenate it so where do you start with that process like where's you you have the painting in front of you where, well where the painting begin? comes yeah. we do our all our photography for condition mm-hmm. so we took an x-ray of the painting just to because we there's some changes that look in the surface so we wanted to look deeper we see any working techniques or any clues that will tell us how he made the changes while he was doing drawings and so we took an x-ray we took all different kind of imaging with different lighting, mm-hmm. infrared, ultraviolet that will show you other layers. So after we got all this studied clearly, and when you say layers, it's the paint underneath the paint, the the, paint. the, the, the first layer, the two layers. And in this painting, it looks like he reworked the canvas a lot. So we wanted to see if we can see other things that indicate clearly what was the intention underneath. For example, one leg, you clearly see on the surface that he changed the position of the leg slightly. So with the X-ray, you might be able to go deeper into the paint and see how he changed what was like, what layers he used, you know, you just get more information about the painting. So the first thing is to learn your subject better, to really analyze it beyond touching it. Okay. So that's the first thing. Once you decide on the treatment, well, this has this kind of varnish, it's soluble in X or Y solvent. So I'm going to use that solvent. I'm first going to surface clean it. Mm. And the surface cleaning... And you're taking off... At that point, I you're taking, taking off the varnish, which is sort of the thing that seals the painting from yeah. the, the last conservator. But before I take the varnish, I take the dirt of the surface, the inborn dirt, mm. you know, from people's skin, coats, everything that happens. How do you do that? What do you use to take off all that dirt? Saliva sometimes. Really? Yes. You just like... A little spit and yeah, you rub it off. We the... just and then just go like this. What? What are you? You're spitting on your finger and doing it, or no? Like you're a... just licking the swab. So you have a cotton swab. And... I, I make my own cotton swabs. I lick them and then I just lightly clean. And that's and what you're using to get the dirt off the Cezanne. That's what I use for the Cezanne for okay. two reasons. One has a little enzyme, so yeah. it cuts the grease and the dirt easier, and you don't get it too wet. So you use the you spit on the swab, you get the dirt off, and then you're... you lick the swab. You put it in your mouth like this. Yeah, she's demonstrating with a pencil right yeah, now. Yeah, so I know. But, but I mean, you yeah. lick it. You don't spit on it. Okay, you lick because it. Because it's just slightly moist. Okay. And then when you roll it on the surface, it's very light. You, you go very lightly. You don't scrub at it mm-hmm. very lightly. So that's that's the first step. You're getting the dirt off. And, getting the dirt and off. And then you're taking off the varnish. And then I'm going, then I go with a solvent mm-hmm. that I, of my choice. It is a solvent. Is that something that could potentially damage a painting if no, it's not because, used correctly? No, uh, because before, that's a very good question. Before mm. I I take the varnish off, I do multiple tiny, tiny tests with very tiny, tiny swabs dipped in that solvent mm-hmm. under the microscope, and I identify and I test every single color, and I make sure that everything is okay 
with that solvent and it's removing what I want to remove. So different so, colors could react differently to one yes, solvent. Yes, different pigments. So you have to make put. sure the red, is that because... The red, the, the blues, everything that was in this painting, mostly greens. It's it's um limited palette he used in this work. Different blues, but green, limited palette. So I test every color. I guess that's because he was using different maybe brands of paint or the paints are made no, of different minerals? different colors. Different colors just are just going to react differently. Different blues yeah. and different greens. And then some were mixed. So you're testing the, the solvent and then you're once you're sure then yeah. you're going and you're removing. Then then I go with bigger bigger areas and I start with the the ones I usually always start from the top because you know if anything drips goes down. So you always start cleaning from the top. Does that ever happen that something drips on a painting? No, not really, but mm-hmm. you know for being this, safe. To, to go on the side of caution, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you start and you work your way down the painting. Exactly. Okay, so and that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And now I clean the painting and it gained it, it looks beautiful. The surface looks rich, looks untouched, doesn't look, you know, there's there's no dirt, there's no discoloration, there's and now I'm removed a lot of the old retouching that was done fairly soon after the painting was acquired and so now I'm almost finished, and they're going to image it for their book. Okay. So they're so going they to take... re-image. I image, I take a, a, another image for our files. Our images don't have anything to do with what publications does or what our system does. They are very high-resolution uh, images. So what I take is just for our records before and after treatment, before, during, and after treatment photographs. It's like you're taking a picture yeah. of the painting with no makeup on. Exactly. This is just its fa- its fresh face, completely yeah. cleaned. And so you, you've got that on record. And now it sounds like yeah. at that point you're ready to, is that when you're ready to go in and actually start doing the retouching? Or? Yeah, which has started already. Interesting. And everything that you will use for retouching is reversible. So if it's painting is painted with oil paint, I'm not going to use oil colors. I use materials that are very readily soluble that would not affect the original paint. If somebody in the future wants to remove those retouching or whatever, they will readily soluble and mild solvents. What kind of paint are you using? Well, in this case, I'm using watercolor. But I I could have used some. uh, We have many, many things. But the watercolor seems to give me what I want. Because you just just want that light just to kind of... Take away, yes, exactly. And do the minimal retouching. Just enough that it unifies the areas and it looks like it's not touched. And sometimes you leave little things because the painting is over 100 years old, so we don't take all the wrinkles away if we don't have to. How do you make that decision about whether you want to leave some signs of aging? Well, uh, it's, it's partially UI, and then, of course, we always consult with the curators. Like, during the treatment, I call the chief curator to see to show her how it's going and they say looks good looks it's looking great or whatever and then once i'm finished i'm going to call her and she will tell me oh maybe maybe you should do a little bit more here if you think you know if her eye sees other things that probably you know i didn't see or i i had a different opinion but it's minimal it's almost just like refining what you've done is the idea of leaving some of the signs of aging because viewers expect that? Because people think, oh, I'm seeing an older painting, it should have a, a crack? I, I don't really think that 
the general public will know the difference. Mm-hmm. It's it's for the it's it's more. You have to think about it a lot. Look at the painting a lot to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So when you pass by a painting for one second, you just want to see an overall and you say, "Oh, the painting is beautiful," but you're not going to. Oh, they should have retouched a little bit more on the chest or a little bit more here. There's a big loss there. So you know, nobody will really know. Do you ever walk into a museum and look at a painting and say, "Ah"? The, the conservator messed this up. Well, it's an interesting question because I'm wor- going to work on another Cezanne portrait that was in Washington. So I went to Washington to look at the show that our painting was there to compare with other paint- other portraits. Very often I like to do that. We, not only me, but a lot of conservators go and look at other paintings from the same period, from the same artist, and then see how... Do they look how they were treated, if they were treated, if they were varnished, how the varnishes look? So you actually visually you learn more how yours is looking in comparison with the others. Mm-hmm. And then you you can have a more educated way of deciding what are you going to do with your particular painting. That was a very polite answer. You <laughs> you learn from your colleagues. You don't judge them too. Or you yeah. learn from your peers, but you don't Absolutely. judge them. So you, you talked about structural things. Sometimes you have to fix. That sounds like kind of heavy-duty work you would be doing yeah. on a painting. So what is a structural fix? Well, for example, this collection, starting from the 50s, I would say, where the conservation department didn't have a conservation department here, it was non-existing, sorry. So paintings were sent out to other conservators. And because we didn't have the environment we had and all that, lining was a very popular thing to do. What is lining? And lining a painting means attaching a new canvas to the back of the original with different adhesives. In this particular collection, wax resin adhe- adhesive were used extensively to line paintings. And then they were mounted in new stretchers. The old stretchers probably were faulty or were not structurally sound. So we replaced the stretchers. And then we retouched whatever had to be retouched. Sometimes you don't have to do any retouching and varnished. And varnish, as I said before, was considered a protective coating because it was against dirt and the environment and many other things, you know. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. 
Here's a special limited time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners at babbel.com slash working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash working. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you're taking a painting off of its old stretcher and putting it on a new one, you're you're reframing it essentially. You're taking yeah. it off the original yeah. stretcher, putting yeah. it face down, and then cleaning the back, yeah. the nude back, and then attaching another canvas that you put to stretch. It's, it's sort of a process, but basically you have the painting of the stretcher, and then you are able to attach a lining canvas from the reverse. In most cases, why do you have to do that? Is there is there a problem with having all that wax and such that you're talking on it? No, what, no, what is it? no. It's because the the original canvas might be very, very weak and have tears or a lot of damages, a lot of deformations Mm -hmm. in the canvas. And very often, all those deformations caused by leaving them, artists were very careless or there was no environment control. So paintings got, you know, canvases are very hygroscopic material, so absorbs and takes water as the climate changes. Mm -hmm. So if you have the paint, the paint moves in different ratio than the canvas. So that causes things to crack, to buckle to look damaged. Damage. Sometimes they get wet by neglecting in artist studios for many, many reasons. So when you're reframing it, essentially, restretching it, is that that, that you're trying to kind of strengthen it? Yeah. So, so it's going to be able yeah. to survive in the future in yeah. better condition than the way they did before. So having said this, this collection was so reliant for so, so many years. Our collection, a big part of our collection is lined. And today we don't do linings anymore because now we have the environment. We, we do other things to maintain the works. So if you go to the galleries and you see a painting of Faith Ringwald that's hanging on the, I think, on the fifth floor in this in a, a public space, you will see that the painting, it's a diptych and looks buckled and things. So that painting would have been in the 60s, probably lined. So now this painting came to the collection two years ago, I think. And I looked at it and I decided we're not doing that. We're not lining the painting, the diptych. What we're going to do is try to see if we can fix a little bit the buckles and leave it. And the cracks, they are stable, which is, they're going to be not flat. Mm-hmm. So it's a different aesthetics. Interesting. So, so when you're fixing a painting that's been that's kind of buckled a little bit. It's sort of has, I, I, when you say buckled, does that mean it has like a little bit of like, has, uh, what I mean by buckle has draws. Mm-hmm. Is that explains it like, better? I draw the formations on the canvas. Mm-hmm. So it looks like there's a dimple or something almost. Well, sometimes they're like really, really draws from the way the painting was stretched. Maybe they pull it too much on one side. And then after time, those pulls starts to form weird undulations on the canvas. I can see. happen. And so when you're fixing that, is that just about restretching it properly, like you well, said, or what else also, is it about what, there? what also the wax does, mm-hmm. it penetrates through the back of the canvas, mm-hmm. through the priming layer, onto the paint film. So what it does, basically, it holds the paint in, posi- in place, mm-hmm. oh, the so lifting paint in place. That's what you're applying to it. That's right? what you're doing. I see. So you're, That you, was the idea. You're applying this stuff to the back to kind of hold everything together. And then and because you use heat, the, the wax 
draws in from the priming layer and then comes through the cracks of the painting. And then it gets flatter. And then whatever wax came through the surface of the painting, you clean it, you do your final whatever you're going to do, retouch it if it needs to or whatever, and then you varnish it. And then it's finished. So you had this whole, I'm just kind of digesting all of that. So you had all these, you had this whole collection, essentially, from one of the world's most important museums that for years they'd been preserving their paintings. You said with these these linings that weren't necessarily that effective for the long term, I guess. Well, it's not that they weren't so effective. It it was just... They were very effective okay. because I think because of all those linings, we can send our paintings that are I see. fragile all over the world now. But what happens is that it, sometimes yeah. you compromise a little bit the aesthetics. They look too flat. Yeah. And now you guys have shifted to this other so, method. And you to- so now we shifted to minimal restoration. So now we're going to they're going to blame us for not doing much. And then <laughs> before they were blaming us for doing too much. There's always a way you can criticize yeah. what... But also, you know, we we got a beautiful Cisneros collection of Latin American art, and a lot of these paintings came from Latin America, so they're buckled, they have this, they have artist frames that are falling apart. And so what I talked to the curator that's doing the show, I said, you know what? So we're going to change this, we're going to change that. I said, I think we have to gear ourselves to a different aesthetics. Because if this is, for example, an original frame and an original buckle, as long as it's not causing damage and it's not doing, we should just leave them. Oh, interesting. And embrace the way that but we are doing is cleaning them, making, if the frames have little chips or things, we're fixing that, making them look clean, not abandoned, but not necessarily over-treated. Yeah, you don't want it to look like something like that's been place. left in the corner of exactly. a dusty studio for exactly. two centuries. But exactly. you want it. So that's inter- it comes back to the knowing what not to fix. Exactly. That's why I bring you this example, because even for me, it was difficult to convince the curator of what we're going to do now. So how did you become a conservator? Oh, boy. Well, I was in Mexico, and I was an art student, and we had a neighbor in our building that was a conservator. And so I used to go and visit her here and there. It was a friend, a family friend. And um, one day, my father told her, you know, Annie has this boyfriend that has long hair in art school, and I'm really worried about it. So... She says, and the School of Conservation, the school just opened, and says, I'll talk to her. Maybe she wants to study conservation. Okay. So she, I went to school there mm-hmm. through her. And the first day I got there, I said, oh, my God, I'm such a terrible artist. This is what I want to do. <laughs> I'm never going to be a good artist. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, that's how. And but, then, you have an eye, but you had an eye, obviously, and your judgment. And how, how bad could you have really been? Well, a, pretty bad. <laughs> okay. Trust me. <laughs> so anyway. I assume you're being modest. But anyway, so you, so so, you, you said, but this is my calling. This yeah, is something I so can do. I loved it, and I did well, and I just... And then I was coming a summer, after two years of school, I was coming to New York mm-hmm. for the summer to a conference. Mm-hmm. And I met the head of the department in that conference of MoMA. And she, um, I had a recommendation from this conservator in Mexico that knew her. And I, I was going to stay in New York for the summer. 
And I met her and I said, you know, I'm going to be in New York for the summer. You take volunteers, interns, anything. So I got, I had a recommendation. I said, you know what? I don't know. I have a good feeling about you. Okay. I'm going to take a chance on this Mexican. That's and, what she told me. Really? That's what she said. And I said, okay. So after the summer, I didn't speak at all. I hardly spoke English. So very poor English. So I just did what I was told, and I worked, and I worked. And, I, and after the summer, she said to me, would you like to stay here a year? I said, sure. She got me, helped me with get the papers. Wouldn't have happened today, right? And, and a year became 40. And I, yeah, and, and that was the beginning. And I, then she hired me. So we talked a little bit about how well, we used to use linings and stuff and how mm-hmm. the techniques have changed. But how is your job different now than it was then? Well, unfortunately, some things are better, as I told you, the way I treat people, the uh, treat paintings, the way I treat collections, the way I see collections, the way I... Um, but the other part is that now I have more obligations, administrative obligations. Okay. So <laughs> that always is challenging because I what I do best is at the easel. Yeah. And now you're a little bit more of a boss in a little way. Well, a little bit, yes. I don't like to say that word, but uh, I work with more people. Yes. So the things that you like about the way it's changed are technological, essentially, right? Yeah, technologically and also... Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the most important thing that has changed technologically then? Like what's what's been the biggest... I think you have a clearer understanding of what you're seeing mm-hmm. much better. Because of imaging or... Yeah, imaging, analysis, XRF. And I think when you interview our scientists, you'll be able to explain to you how we work together. And I think that's been an amazing improvement. Was it more you were flying a little bit blind back in the day when it came to... I, I wouldn't say blind, but I, I would say it was much more... You oversaw a lot of things. So, cause I, and now the, the mm. job now is much more interesting because the more you understand things and the more you learn, things become more interesting to you. Was it because back then you couldn't see as many layers of paint? You could or? see the same thing. Okay. But you were just trying to stabilize everything that was unstable. So that was the aim, to stabilize everything so it would not fall apart. Yeah. And now the goal is more... The goal is more, of course, you don't want things to fall apart, but this collection is not falling apart anymore. But it's... So you see things. There are new acquisitions. You see them different. You you go to more... You know, actually, I'm going to a symposium tonight to Amsterdam for Van Gogh that I'm going to work on. So, you know, you are more exposed to learning more about Mm. what you actually want to do or not do, or do nothing. That's also an option. Very often, you look at a painting and you say, well, the decision is not to touch it. And back then, it was almost never, was that not? Well, it was less of it. Not that we ruined anything, but it was less of that. It was stabilize it. You know, yeah, that was always the goal. There was a goal to stabilize the collection so it can be healthy, so it yeah. can because think about it. Also, the collection came from everywhere. So the the conservators they taught me everything I know. Plus, they taught me not only how to be a conservator, practical conservator. They taught me a lot of things about life, about <laughs> everything. So made me a better person, a better judge, uh, yeah. a lot of things. And that's still a process, yeah. you know. We talked about the Cezanne. You're going to be working on a Van Gogh. Do you ever get nervous putting your hands on these masterpieces? Or did that 
fade away a long time ago. No. I feel the same, you know, to be a little nervous and to be a, a, a cautious can be a, a Cezanne, can be a Van Gogh, can be the water lilies that I cleaned, or can be a very minor painter or painting. Mm -hmm. It's always the same. You treat them the same and you feel the same. You always have to be careful. Do you ever look at a painting and just feel a little bit of like awe that it's like, oh my God, I'm putting, I mean, you're one of the only people in the world who puts your hand on the... You know when I feel like an awe? When every morning I walk into the studio and I look around and I say, oh my God, this is amazing to look at all these paintings that are here today. And this is what I feel almost every morning. Like my heart stops. Not so much when I'm actually working on it. Once you're working on it, that's the job. Yeah, that's, that's, that's you know, you're careful, you're mindful, you mm -hmm. concentrate. I hate to bring the phone to the easel. You're waving the phone at me right now. I was yes. like, this is... <laughs> I have it near me, but it's off now. Um, yes. I imagine getting a, yeah, getting a text message or a news alert in the middle of trying to fix a cloud on a Cezanne is that, that's, you don't want that. But uh, people do it. People actually keep their phone on? Yeah, their phone is here. Yeah, I guess. they're listening to music. Yeah, well, they work. Do it's you, okay. What do, you, do you listen to music while you work? No, no, never. You want silence? There's never silence. People mm -hmm. talking. Mm -hmm. But you're just sort of in the zone. I try to. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What is the most significant amount of restoration you've ever had to do on a painting? Like what is like the biggest fix you've ever had to do? I would say it was the Monet Water Lilies, the triptych, in the single panel I worked on. What did you have to do to that panel? Well, these paintings were acquired in 1958 after we had a fire here, and one of our water lilies was destroyed. So these were acquired, and they were kept in Monet studio, and they were very damaged, so they came here, and... I didn't had nothing to do with the lining, so they, they were lined because there were tears and losses. And But then in the early 80s, we decided to revise the treatment, and mm -hmm. the paintings had a varnish. And he conceived these paintings almost like a frieze, so they had to be very matte and soft. And he actually even, there are stories that he even would take the oil paint and blot a little bit of the oil because he didn't want the surface to look shiny because as you know when you paint with oil paint you will the surface of the paint when it's rich especially when it's thickly painted it's shiny from the oil not from varnish but just from the oil so if he paints in areas thick or thin you will have that variation of sheen and matteness mm -hmm. you know depends how you use but he monet wanted this to look very matte. Yeah. That's how he was thinking of as like a mural, like a wall painting. And so you have this giant, damaged, yeah. very so, carefully painted yeah. masterpiece. Yeah. 
So that took a long time, to be over a year to work on that painting. What so were we, you doing to it exactly? So what we wanted to do, because I told you they came damaged, they were faced, face meaning attaching a Japanese paper to the surface while you're working from the back so the paint doesn't come off to protect the paint film. So then after they were treated, not in my time, in the 50s. They were treated here by somebody else. They varnished and and retouched and, and all that. So then we had scientists that examined the whole painting because we examined, we were able to see that there were almost eight layers of paint in some areas. And the way he painted, he then scraped and, and did a lot of things. And a lot of the scrapes appeared to be like paint losses, but they actually were his technique, trying to reveal the colors underneath that he was applying to come to the surface. It's a little difficult to explain, but that was his technique. Yeah. So anyway, so we had a scientist mm-hmm. analyze the whole triptych. We got a special grant. There was a publication on the analysis and all that. And then I was the one that was supposed to now clean the painting. But I obviously it was not only me. Different people were doing different things, including taking some of the residue of the paste that was left behind from the facing. Yeah the protective paper while the painting was worked on. What was the original damage on the painting? Was it just uh, the, There was a huge tear about three feet by three feet, almost like a square, that happened in, in Monet's studio. There's just, so there's a giant... Bon. It's, it was a tear that was fixed... So how do you, by somebody. How, do, how does somebody fix a tear? This well, is something I, whenever I've seen a video of someone accidentally like fall through a painting, uh, I like how do you how do you repair that? Very 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 carefully. Have, have, thread have by you thread. have you personally yeah. done that? Yeah. So take me through that. How you've got a big torn painting from you know some. We don't get artist. too many torn paintings here. <laughs> what I had to do with the Monet is fix that repair because it was done with a very it, it didn't look right oh interesting so you i didn't redo it, it. i okay. didn't redo it but i just fixed it mm-hmm. you know but so if you are kind of fixing a tear how do you go about that well it depends how large is the tear what is the canvas what happens how weak is the original canvas how strong is the original canvas but i took a course with somebody specialized and you do it thread by thread you reweave and if areas where you lose the thread sometimes you can add other threads. It's just like so. It's like reweaving, basically I, under the microscope. You do everything. You're reweaving a canvas by hand. Yes, with and, with special, very very special, very uh, fine tools with curves. What, all that. What kind of? Yeah, I was about to ask. What are these tools that you're using? Well, they're and you're just using some, your some some no. Some of these tools mm-hmm. are similar to dentist tools. Okay. You know, dentists have different shapes of. Of tips, yeah. Hooks when they and... go inside, they have hooks. They have sharp. So these were refined, but they come a little bit from the best way I can describe. They look like a dentist tool. So you've got so you got one picks in hand, and you've yeah, got... and then you have a little adhesive that you, with a very fine brush, once you have the thread set, you sort of uh, stabilize it so it doesn't move anymore, and then you continue like that. And you're doing this one thread at a time yes. on a painting. How long yes. does it take? Let's say you have an inch of a tear. How long would it take to repair that? To weave it? To weave it. it just yeah. an inch, square yeah. inch? Yeah. It depends how frail the original canvas is mm-hmm. and how much, if you can join things. Sometimes you can bridge the original. Sometimes you have to add. I don't know. if I would say a couple of days working 
seven hours, but typically you don't do that because, you know, you stop and you do other things. So for us in the museum, it's very different than when you figure out, you work in private practice, you have to figure out how many hours it's going to take to do this. So you are able to to establish a fee. But here, we don't work like that. For, for me, it's very difficult to sometimes quantify how many hours it's taken me to do something. But, but still, it's, but, it's but time. But still, it's, it's time, it's for, tedious. Yeah. It's, you have to have the skill and know how to do it. And so once you've rewoven a canvas like that... And then you have a, a little adhesive there. Yeah. Then you can sometimes flatten it slightly. And then do you have to kind yeah. of repaint along it or what do you well, have to do? Well, it all depends. If there's paint that was that was lost, mm-hmm. yes, you try to flatten, try to mimic the adjacent area. You have photographs, maybe an, an original photograph before it was damaged that can help you to see how the area looked. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. If you lost paint and you cannot put back the paint that was lost because of the tear or it's a very old tear. Actually, we have one now, a little painting now that we are going to do a little tear repair. And so it's a 1907 painting. So it's difficult to find a good color photograph of how it looked originally. But we have, uh, have you know, some idea what to do. Okay. So you try to get information. Yeah with photographs with us to do the other part. You talked about all the work you do away from the canvas before and how that takes up a lot of your time. What is that part of the job? What is it you're doing away from the canvas? Really with... want to know yeah. how, all the emails you have to reply. <laughs> Give us a taste oh, of Oh, this it. painting is going out tomorrow. And the, the crate maker is, can you come down? <laughs> start to, or an email we have this problem okay so I come down and I say well how about doing this how about doing that I make a few suggestions to the crate maker so we decide on that yeah. or sometimes something got damaged in the galleries can you come down so everything that I do is very exciting because sometimes what is an interruption is an annoying turns out to be oh my god that is incredible that we saw this like, a drip in a Picasso or something. We when we do gallery checks, I do gallery checks too and dust paintings. I don't do it all the time anymore, but that's one of the most fantastic tasks that you have in the morning. You come at night. The museum opens at nine thirty. You're here by nine. You go to the galleries with all your equipment. You dustpan your your whatever you brush, your dusting brush, everything you need, and you go and you look at the paintings and you dust the surfaces. Yeah. Just dusting because we're not allow any the art handlers or anybody to dust the surfaces of paintings that aren't unglazed. That's and that's a daily task for the Let's conservators. Say we try to do uh, at least every week one gallery. And yeah. so that's just everyone's so going So imagine yeah. you go to the galleries mm-hmm. where it's always so crowded here. I know you've you've noticed. Yeah. A little and, bit. And <laughs> you're alone with all these works. Yeah. And you just dust them and you just look at them closely. And then you find, oh, my God, I I don't remember this little thing, this white little drip here. What is it? And that's how you're, you say, okay, it's time to eventually bring so, that back. That's so, how you're recording. Uh, and and... Sometimes we can do it on the, on the spot or sometimes we bring it to the studio. And that's kind of how you're constantly keeping an inventory of what needs to be fixed, I guess, right? Or... Well, th- that's, that's very minimal work, really. I'm just giving you an example. Or mm. you just... Are looking at a painting with nobody around you, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, so, do you, so you're you are though sometimes fixing paintings while they're on the wall. Yeah, 
but not too often, unless it's something very, very minor. But you're just going, hey, that Picasso could use a little yeah. touch-up right there. I take a picture, and then I decide if I can do it there, and I go back, and I bring what I need. And if it's it's something else, then we, we, we wait till it can come up to conservation. Then we do courier trips, you know, a lot of trips that you travel with works to other institutions. This is the question I'm asking everybody. What is your favorite piece of art at MoMA or your favorite place, room? What's your favorite thing at MoMA? My favorite piece is the one I'm working at the time that I'm working on. <laughs> and that's the truth. I can't have a, I can't tell you I have a favorite one. Because the favorite one becomes when you are able to transform something to something better. Yeah. That becomes that moment your favorite. So it's it's very difficult for me to say I've treated so many paintings in this collection. And I was always excited at the moment. I said, this cannot get better than this. Or, you know. I work on four Kandinsky's, one of, you know, and, and to try to unify them because they were in different collections. And I work on the, I, I guess the Monet was a big one, but just because it's so big and, and I still, whenever, anytime it moves, I go with it. It's yeah. going here, it's going there. I travel with it always. But I, I don't know if I can. You fall in love with the one that's in front of you at that moment. I think so. I think that's, that's the best way I can describe it. This has been a lovely conversation. Thanks so much for coming and talking. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, ideas for future episodes, send us an email at working at slate.com. Again, working at slate.com. In the meantime, Working is produced by Jessamine Molly. And a special thank you to Justin D. Wright for our ad music. Join us next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.